Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Radio Islam. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, and we are streaming live at WCEV1450.com. Now, if you are new to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. We are call-in radio program broadcasting every day from 6 to 7 p.m. Central right here from the wonderful city of Chicago, Illinois. And you might even hear that train going by in the background. Uh, we are in the heart of downtown. I uh, want to remind you to keep up with us by following and liking our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You will find us at Radio Islam USA. That is at Radio Islam USA. And last but not least, I'm having some throat issues, family. Hold on one second. <clears throat> okay. All right. All right. I, I think I'm okay now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, last but not least, make sure that you are keeping up with the podcast. So, wherever you get your podcast, if it's iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, SoundCloud, look for us. Once again, we're at? At Radio Islam USA. So, that's that. And if you've got a comment or question that you would like to interject throughout the course of tonight's discussion with our wonderful guest, who I'm going to introduce in just a moment, give us a call at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. All right, Radio Islam family, let's get into it. We don't want to waste any more time with all my yammering. We've got some great uh, folks who are in studio with us tonight. Uh, they are representing the Interfaith Community for Detained Immigrants. And we have its, uh, their executive director, Melanie Shikori. And we also have a case manager um, extraordinaire, Ryan Smith. Yeah, I think it's important to put that on. So I give you uh, greetings of peace. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you, both of you. Wa alaikum salam. Peace Thank be upon you. you. Thank All you. Right. It's good to be here. Us. Well, it's, it's a pleasure to have you, uh, and and I appreciate that we've had a chance to have a little conversation before we, you know, before we even got on uh, on air. And uh, unfortunately for you, Radio Slime family, you missed out on all of that. Uh, and we're not going to talk about any of those things now. Uh, this is all new stuff. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just kidding. No. Uh, first off, um, who wants to fill the first question? Melanie, you want you want to share the first question? So, would you tell uh, tell the Radio Slime family a little bit about the um, Interfaith Community for Detained Immigrants. How long has it been around? And what is its main, uh, what's its mission? Yeah. So we've been around since 2007. Mm -hmm. And in 2007, two Sisters of Mercy heard that families were being separated at a place called Broadview. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to go see what was happening there. So they went there and they saw that indeed families were being ripped apart. They saw families going in and coming out in tears and needing comfort. And when they talked to them, they learned that their family member was being deported. And they felt really moved by this and that they really had to intervene and they had to do something. So they asked if they could visit with the people being deported and they were told no, but to try the jails. Um, mm. When they went to the jails, uh, they were also told they could not go in. And they felt really strongly that they, the people in detention needed to have pastoral care, spiritual care, um, and so they organized a group of interfaith leaders, and then along with an organization called ICER, the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant yes. and Refugee Rights, yes. and also Dan Burke, mm -hmm. they, a bill was written that said that pastoral care workers had a right to access immigrant detention, and that closed that loophole that existed that wouldn't let them in. So after the bill was passed, they started a jail visitation program out at McHenry County Jail. And over the years, it's grown tremendously based on the needs that we see in this really broken system. We're now in four county jails, in McHenry County Jail and Kenosha County Jail in Wisconsin, Dodge County Jail in Wisconsin, and Jerome Combs Detention Center in Kankakee County. And we also have a court watch program in immigration court and a deportation program or ministry where we assist families who are losing loved ones to deportation. We visit unaccompanied children 
who are in, in um, centers here in Chicago. Uh, they might not be from the area, but they're brought here by the government when they're detained and they are not with an adult. Mm -hmm. um, we also have a hotline that people released from detention can call and get assistance getting back to family or friends that they have somewhere in the country. And lastly, we have houses of hospitality that provide longer term housing and case management for people that are seeking asylum or recently were granted asylum and they just need assistance adjusting and healing and getting used to life in the United States. So that's kind of a broad overview. Um, you know, I can talk about each of the programs in more detail, what we do and everything, but that's from 2007 to now, that's, that's the growth that we've had based on needs that presented themselves as we got more involved in the work. Mm. That's awesome. So 21 years uh, of, of work since... Um, 11. I'm 11. sorry, my math is <laughs> uh, <laughs> severely hampered right now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we'll have this conversation in another 10 years. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Don't release uh, this episode <laughs> until... <laughs> so, so Ryan, um, uh, as a case manager, mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the... Uh, what, what are some of the day-to-day... Uh, issues that 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 you can that are con that you're confronted with. Yeah, good question. Um, there's a number of issues that come up, and every day is kind of new. Sure. Um, but primarily, my goal is um, to assist those being released from detention mm -hmm. um, to reach independence. That's that's my that's my primary goal. How can they be independent and and uh, happy and healthy? Um, so that requires a number of issues to be attended to. There's the kind of immediate issues uh, upon release that need to be taken care of. Acquiring documentation, um, receiving uh, health care, um, psychiatric care if necessary, making sure they have healthy food to eat, a shelter, somewhere to live, um, these sorts of things. And as it, the time goes on, those day-to-days for each case changes. Then it moves to, well, what job do we get? Right. What's, uh, what's a better job you can get? What's edu further education you can uh, tap into? Um, and those are kind of the immediate, more practical needs. But my primary goal as a case manager um, I I throughout all of this, the kind of undercurrent that's happening throughout, is accompaniment. Um, the program that I work in is called uh, a, a post-detention accompaniment network. And that word accompaniment is very important to me. Mm -hmm. um, when you're released from detention, you're alone. If you, chances are you don't know anyone in the country, you have no resources, you're scared, you're lonely, you, you don't know what to do. And having someone there with you for something as simple as figuring out how the postal service works here and getting to the mail office and sending that letter back home to your mother or father um, can be a frightening task in front of them. So just being with them in a lot of instances and through the ups and downs that come with post-detention, it's an emotional roller coaster um, to figure out how to navigate this system. And sometimes they just need someone to talk to and chat with and a buddy. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, those are some of my, my purposes throughout the day. Okay, so you cover. Um, I'm I'm going to use the the initials. Uh, so ICDI. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so ICDI covers. Uh, you have different different ministries, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so there are a lot of moving parts that go along with this. And the idea of providing uh, pastoral uh, care. Uh, we're talking about different faiths. How is that? Um, how how was that managed? And I guess that 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 would fall under uh, under your 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 purview, uh, mm -hmm. Melanie, um, pulling all those things together. Sure, um, it's 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 really interesting work because of the interfaith aspect of what we do. Mm -hmm. um, we are oftentimes working with people that aren't of the same faith background that we are, mm -hmm. and so we have to learn those skills. Um, it's very much about providing spiritual care in a way where you are helping people identify what about their faith background helps them through this difficult time in their life. Mm -hmm. How do they find strength? How can they be resilient? And really just supporting them on their own faith journey. 
Um, and some people who don't profess a faith, don't have a faith background, but what resources within and from a faith background can they pull on? Um, we also reach out to faith communities across the Chicago area, and we are so blessed that there's so much diversity here and people are so responsive to the need. We bring in, for example, in the jails, we bring in spiritual materials from every religion that we see. Mm-hmm and sometimes new needs present themselves. Like last year, we began to see more people from the Sikh faith who Mm. were in a certain detention center. And we reached out to a Gudwara in Palatine, and they gave us resources in their language and from their faith background. And it's, it's really a blessing to be able to bring those things to people in detention because it's something familiar to them. It's something really comforting to them. Um, and similarly, with any faith that we see, we can do that, get materials and bring them in. Um, and in the house as well, people are from different faiths. And so, um, Ryan, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the interaction and, and sure, yeah. what oh. that is like in the house please, with, please. with people from different faiths who are also from all different countries, mm-hmm. learning to get along in a community setting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, it's it's a I'll start by saying it's a beautiful process watching um, one all of these faith different faith organizations come together and work so hard and volunteer their time and efforts to um, make sure that uh, those being released are taken care of and those still under detention are taken care of and and have those spiritual needs met. Um, we have a very diverse group that comes through the house um, through our housing units. Um, it's primarily Muslim Christian, but we get you know a lot of faiths within there. Now the pastoral care that they do in the detention centers, I almost want to say it doesn't stop at the detention center because when they get out, um, the number one resource that I'm going to fall back on is their religious community. Mm. Uh, this is critical to building a social community for them right. in the in in the United States. People that they feel comfortable with immediately, people that they might identify with on some level, um, is going to be a huge resource for them in getting out. But it's also the thing that's going to keep them afloat. Uh, once you get released, it's it's not the easiest thing in the world. You're still hitting brick walls and struggles and difficulties. And f- for most people in, in our housing units, that's their faith is the thing that's going to bring them through. That's what they fall back on. That's what they rely on. Yeah. And I want to help them do that. I want to make sure that uh, they're able to connect with their religious community in the same way that I'm able to connect with my religious community mm-hmm. and continue that process. So uh, it, it's very critical. And I see every participant, you know, one of the first things they ask me about when they get to the house is... Um, toss-up between, you know, need a cell phone and I need whatever religious text or scripture is relevant to their immediate religion. And, you know, those are two really, those tell me a lot about what's happening for them at that moment. I need to connect with my family. Mm -hmm. That's what the phone is. They need to connect with their family. They need to connect with someone. And then they need to, you know, connect with God and and how they see that. Um, And I find that a very... um, telling point when they get out what's important at the end of the day when when life gets hard what's really important family (laughs) and faith you know I I think this is great to hear Um, number one it's coming from a recognition of the individual as a soul Hmm. uh, that is looking to maintain uh, to foster a connection uh, with uh, with his creator Uh, as opposed to the discussion that is normally had w- around refugees or um, undocumented uh, individuals, and it's just about the physical space they occupy, mm. and not about their place in in, in creation, mm. um, which is a much different uh, different conversation. Uh, but I do want to ask a practical question, and that is, how do most of, or is there a general, uh, is there a general pathway or uh, a circumstance that most folks have found themselves in that leads to detention for them? Um, we see all different kinds of folks in detention. Mm-hmm. Um, we might see people who are undocumented, who've been here 20 years, and 
they have a broken tail light, and then it's discovered that they don't have a license, and they end up in detention. They have no criminal history, but this, you know, what would normally for anyone else be a traffic violation or some kind of code, um, gets them into detention. Wow. Um, we also see people who have come to our border asking for asylum, and this country's response is to detain them, right? It's not the global norm. We know people that have come through 14 countries, and the only country that put them in shackles and in a jail setting was the United States, mm. right? Um, we also see people that have a criminal history, and after they've done their time in a criminal um, prison setting, then they are tracked for deportation if it's a deportable offense. Mm -hmm. And so they end up in immigrant detention. But I want to say something about that because um, most of the people that we see in detention are, don't have a criminal history. And many of those that do, it's not a criminal history that is a violent history or a threat to community history. It really is representative of what, what we have chosen to criminalize in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so this, of course, is disproportionately affecting people of color. And, um, you know, for example, a, a, a smaller drug offense or something like that. You know, what's, what's more criminal, um, selling some marijuana and getting busted for that or some of these white-collar crimes that we've seen in our country that wipe out the whole country's economy mm -hmm. and no yeah. one goes to jail, yeah. right? So I think that's really important to keep in mind when we think about criminal backgrounds and what that means and what we criminalize, as well as what neighborhoods we police, um, and you know who gets who gets busted and who doesn't, mm -hmm. and and all of that. So the majority are are not at all what the media would have us believe about being people who would threaten the community or be violent offenders that we must fear. Mm -hmm. mm. Did you have something? And there's something even really interesting about the notion of when you arrive, you know, if you understand the process of what it is to declare asylum, right. um, you're arriving at the border, um, most commonly through Texas or, or California, and you're coming through, and you're, you declare asylum. Right. And you do what's called a credible fear interview. And this is you sit down and, and you answer some questions. They determine whether or not you, you, there's a credible fear back in your home country and uh, do you have a case here in the United States? Right. And if you do have a case, you're then put in handcuffs. It's, it's, it's nonsensical, it doesn't quite, the process doesn't quite add up, right? You're showing up and you say, I'm, I'm in trouble, I need help. And they say, oh, sure, okay. And then you go into detention. It just, put on these bracelets. Yeah, put on these bracelets. Uh, it just doesn't quite add up. And so you kind of hit this uh, moment where it's a big shocker for a lot of people coming here. It's not how you expect to be treated. If I'm passing by your home and I'm thirsty and I ask you for a glass of water and you give me the glass of water and then you arrest me, <laughs> doesn't quite make sense, right? I'm a little confused and disoriented. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it really adds trauma to people who are already traumatized. They've mm -hmm. had the traumas from home countries. Mm -hmm. They've had the trauma that it is to migrate. Many mm -hmm. bad things happen to people who are on the move and sort of very vulnerable because they're going through countries that aren't their own and through systems that they're not familiar with. They are vulnerable to be preyed upon mm -hmm. and things happen. And then they arrive here and are additionally traumatized by our inhumane system. Mm. Now, you mentioned the, uh, the nonsensical reality <laughs> of, of, of our policy. Um, does ICDI also have uh, input or an arm that works on recommending uh, policy? Uh, or I don't want to say make the question too long because I know the organizations like ICER, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that that's something that, that you know, they, they definitely get into that. But uh, does ICDI also have a policy arm? We do advocacy, mm -hmm. um, and that's done in a lot of different ways. So sometimes um, our founders have gone to Washington, D.C. to testify okay. to Congress. Mm -hmm. We also work closely with legislators here, keeping them abreast of what's going on. And um, that bill that was passed, for example, was an example of, of rallying and getting systemic change to occur or a bill put in place. Um, we belong to a network of visitation programs, 
And so we're in touch with other programs around the country that do visits in jail settings. Okay. And this group is working collectively to, um, to suggest to Congress that the, this mode of detaining everyone is not what we should be doing as the norm that what we should be doing are, um, we try to avoid the language alternatives to detention now mm -hmm. because the government's kind of co-opted that, but community-based and faith-based nonprofit initiatives wow. that would provide support such as our house. Um, programs like these are what we need to be doing for most people that are coming. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also, uh, there's some bills that we're aware of and we would definitely you know, get behind them being passed that would end uh, private co uh, companies running detention centers. We're fortunate enough in problem. Illinois to not have mm -hmm. that, yeah. but around right. the country it's common. Mm -hmm. um, and um, an another way that we impact the system is, and this is I think fundamental to the um, sort of the approach of ICDI, is that we don't believe that we can hold up the dignity of immigrants if we don't hold up the dignity of all human beings, and that includes ICE officers that we work with, mm -hmm. that includes people in the government, that includes people that we don't agree with philosophically or politically necessarily, mm -hmm. um, but we work in relationship with them, so we kind of come as close as we can. We've had actually wonderful experiences at times humanizing a situation because of working like this. Um, one example of that is our hotline where people are released from detention and in the past they were just put out on the street out of the building that, where they were released. And it didn't matter if it was February in Chicago and they were detained in the summer and they only had flip-flops and a t-shirt, they were put out to the street. But because wow. we have the hotline mm -hmm. and because we've, we've explained it to ICE and worked with their officers so that they could understand that we, we could work together on this small thing, but it would bring some humanity to the process and these people wouldn't be out in the cold where they don't speak the language, they don't have a cell phone, and that has been successful. So they have our card um, and they, they will work with us on some of those and, things, yeah. And they allow us, even now, we've got to come to the point where they allow us to come in annually and do a training for the ICE officers on how to properly get in contact with us, release, to ensure that uh, when someone is leaving their facility that they're not just wandering out onto the street with no shoes, no jacket, no food, no money, you know, mm -hmm. in the middle of winter. So mm -hmm. we also have this kind of ability to um, hold their ear for a little bit and, right. and get their attention. And uh, I think that does make a big difference. Mm -hmm. I think it makes a huge difference. Yeah, and I, I'm not. I don't think that'll be the full solution, but I think it is really important to um, think about the humanity and dignity of each individual, and also, as you do this work, you really understand that there are systems at play. And we, about a year and a half ago, we started a visitation program in Dodge uh, County, up in Wisconsin, and I became really aware that even the people that work in these systems at some level, while they do have individual choice, they're also victims of these larger systems, similar to how things go wrong in industrialized farming, um, you know, coal, other industries. When we were up in Dodge, you could work on an industrialized farm, work at Walmart, or work in a jail or prison, because there were about five jails or prisons in a very small radius up there. Yep. So your choices, um, in terms of what you choose to do if you want to stay in that area to work, we're really limited. And um, so if we want to dismantle detention, which is what we would like to see happen, do it very differently, we have to factor that in. We have to think about how do we retrain and reorient and what other you know, people have to provide for their families. If they're dependent on this system mm -hmm. and we want to dismantle it, we have to factor into our design what do they do instead because they're never gonna go for it if it means their family won't have food or they won't have a job. Yeah, the, the right. reality is we have, uh, we've, we've talked about this before uh, on the program, that we have over two million people incarcerated uh, in the United States, and that's not including those people who are, um, who are on probation, um, home monitoring, you know, things of that nature. And each one of those people also has a, uh, they also have a connection 
to the, there's a, a court system, there are police officers, there, uh, there are vendors, there, uh, you know, the, their families. There's a whole economy that's built around this. Mm. So, the, your point is is, is well taken, and, and there's no way to, to to not look at how do you how do you move things around in a way where people can uh, where people can still eat. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but but e even in saying that. Um, I think the goal, the, the human dignity has to be put uh, in the proper place. That has to be held up as the, as the one thing that can't be compromised on. Because everything else will work itself out, mm. uh, I believe, if that is our point. Now, we've got a, well, I've got a bunch, I've got a bunch more questions uh, <laughs> for you all. But we're going to take a, uh, a quick break. Uh, Radio Sound family, we are talking with uh, Melanie Shikori and Ryan Smith. Shikori and Ryan Smith from ICDI. And um, if you've got a comment or question, hold it for a moment. But give us a call at 312-750-1178 when we get back. And, uh, and we'll get back into it. So this is Radio Slime. We'll be right back. People have all kinds of excuses for not saving energy. I didn't plug it in. I'll turn it off later. It's not my music. It's just one phone charger. So um, we don't have those Energy Star appliances. So that old window leaks. How much energy and money could the new ones really save? Maybe it's time to stop making excuses and start doing some simple things to save the energy and resources we can. Because a little here and a little there can add up to a lot later. And you just never know what people will need in the future. My name is Sarah and I'm going to get started today. We can all help save more energy for tomorrow. What's your excuse? For more energy saving tips that also save money, visit loseyourexcuse.gov parents. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy, the Ad Council, and the station. Hey America, we need to have a little talk. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a lot of food in this country. A lot of peaches, a lot of corn, a lot of apples, a lot of everything. We've got so much food that we can't even eat it all. So if we got all this extra food, how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? I just don't get it. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to the hungry kids who need it. They can get you food even if you live in Idaho or Alaska or somewhere crazy like that. This isn't complicated. We got extra food and we've got hungry kids. Feeding America's done the math. Now it's your turn. Support Feeding America in your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. I know you got internet on your phone, so what are you waiting for? We can't do it without your help. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's kind of like an elephant is on my chest. I feel like I'm choking. Sometimes my parents have to take me to the hospital. You know how to react to their asthma attacks. Here's how to prevent them. Call 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. Visit www.noattacks.org or call your doctor. Because even one attack is one too many. I feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA and the Ad Council. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen. Radio Islam family, we're having a great conversation. But for those of you who are just tuning in, uh, we are talking with some great folks from ICDI, which is the Interfaith Community for Detained Immigrants. Melanie Shikori, she is the Executive Director. Ryan Smith is the Case Manager. And... Before we get back in, I've got to give this plug. If you are new to Radio Slime, make sure that you're keeping up with us on social media, uh, wherever you're at, Radio Slime USA, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, and keep up with that podcast. And last 
of all, but not least, remember, sharing is caring. So share that link, okay? All right, uh, so let, let's get back into it, Melanie, Ryan. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I love the, uh, what I feel like is, is the, the, the over, uh, the, the philosophy that undergirds what you all are doing, um, which is about, um, I, I love this, this idea you said about accompany, accompaniment, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and recognizing this spiritual need in a time where uh, people who, who have gone through so much uh, to, to get here, uh, and, and, and here's my question that's coming, uh, and, and the question is, people who have, uh, who have fled from places where they have been the oppressed group, uh, whether it's economic, it's, it's physical oppression, whatever it is, and then they get here, and then to be detained and put out on the street in some instances, to be returned back to that same status mm -hmm. that they ran from, because mm -hmm. generally these that they remain the most vulnerable uh, in society, um, and I just I just think that that is a uh, a wonderful service uh, that you all are providing. So I want to ask this: How often do you um, how often are are you able to uh, engage with uh, law, not lawmakers, but pe pe uh, people on the ground. Uh, so the, te the detention facilities, um, police, uh, how, how often are you able to engage with them to let them know that this is a an option, that you have services where people don't have to come out? I know you said you've, you've met with them before, but how often does this happen? I engage with um, ICE and those who work at USCIS uh, daily. Oh, okay. So, I, or we at least a couple times a week, um, we're in constant communication between um, either uh, cases that are coming up that uh, could possibly be released. Um, having that communication, that line of communication open, is uh, very important because it helps us uh, navigate the kind of difficulties that come with that. Um, and just better equipped for who's coming out and how we can better serve them. So we have a kind of uh, daily interaction with them or weekly interaction with them. Um, and, you know, that certainly changes the tone of right. the conversation. Um, when you're speaking with someone on a regular basis, um, mm. It's not as There's, adversarial. Exactly. It's you, you realize, okay, we're going to work together on this in some way. And, and as Melanie said, you know, we might disagree philosophically or even about policy, but um, at the end of the day, we have this objective to meet, and that is that we are, uh, ICE officer and myself included, are entrusted with securing the safety of the person um, in their care for that time. So they, you know, they want to meet that goal. I don't think anyone inherently wants to hurt anyone. <laughs> it's, right. That's that's a that's a an unfortunate byproduct of a broken system. Um, so the response that I hear from many of those who work inside is um, one of, uh, at the very least, a, a minor appreciation of the fact that we we do this. Um, I think most have a decent feeling toward us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about, I'm looking in uh, this, this tract here, about the unaccompanied children's interfaith ministry. Mm -hmm. Could you uh, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I can talk briefly about that. Um, we are charged with the spiritual care of the kids. They, they're in centers that are run by a social service agency. Mm -hmm. And so our time with the kids is on Saturdays. And uh, we use art and music and some kind of physical activity and um, then a faith reflection that's accessible to all the kids from any faith or from no faith that is centralized around a theme like hope, something that they, they can relate to. And we do this in a group setting. We see kids from age two up to age 17 they are all ranges and um, from all over the world in lots of different languages. We might see a group of children, maybe 
40 children and have eight or 10 languages in the room. Mm. And we um, also really recruit our volunteers for that program to be of the faith or cultural background of the children that we see sure. so that we have the language and someone familiar someone that feels like someone that they can recognize and and talk to mm-hmm. um, but we do this in a group setting and um, those volunteers also go through a training and we're very sensitive to the rules of the centers that they're in in terms of what's our role and what we're not equipped to do we're not therapists Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much about enjoying the present moment together because that's what we have mm-hmm. okay. with them. Yeah. Now, speaking of volunteers um, and, and staff as well, um, how big is your staff uh, right now and how many volunteers do you normally um, work with? We have seven paid full-time staff and three part-time staff okay. and over 300 volunteers. And wow. so when, when ICDI started, it was completely volunteer run, including mm-hmm. what are now staff positions. But as it grew, there was a need to create staff positions. And also as it became, as it lived out the, the essence of being an interfaith organization, mm-hmm. not every faith has a mechanism where people can volunteer their time, uh, such as the Catholic faith. If you're a sister or a brother, you might be able to offer your time because you have a safety net in your community. You're provided for in certain ways, and so you, you, may, you may be able to, to do that. But people, not every faith has that, and so right. in, in being interfaith, that was also part of what created the necessity of having paid positions. Okay. Yeah. Right. And how many, uh, or do you have an, an estimate of how many uh, uh, your your client client base, uh, how large is it? Hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> so, in the in the jails, um, each of the settings has about two hundred people who are detained at any given time, mm-hmm. and that fluctuates. But that's about where things are at right now, and we might see sixty to eighty people each week in each location. Wow. Um, Sometimes sometimes it's the same people. We usually rotate and see people every other week because there are more people than we can see in one given week. Right, right. And that's in the jails. Then in, the, in our court program, we're there Monday through Thursday, morning and afternoon, um, documenting court proceedings. We work with a legal advocate, the National Immigrant Justice Center, NIJC. Okay. And things that we might be monitoring that we could refer to them if there's some problem that they need to help us with and um, so that might be multiple whatever case, cases are on the docket that day we would be there to document those um, in our houses we have a capacity for 16 people in in two different settings and then we have some community settings that can accommodate smaller numbers so that that's about how many people at any given time might be there and then um, the deportation ministry, we might see about eight to eight to fifteen families that are coming to say goodbye on any given Friday. That's the day we do that. And then sixty to eighty people being deported. We pray on the buses before they're taken away from the um, jail to the airport in Gary. Wow. Wow, so you, a lot. You guys are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you guys are doing quite a bit of work. Yeah. Quite a bit of work. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate there's a need for it, but it's yeah. uh, but it's a blessing that you all are able to rise to that uh, to the yeah. occasion. And our volunteers. It's yeah. a blessing to watch so many. As we were talking about before, you know, yeah. it's such a blessing to be able to sit back and watch so many people mm-hmm. give their time. And, and effort to helping out in any way they can. Yeah. That's a really beautiful thing to see yeah, you know, absolutely. on a daily basis. Absolutely. Yeah. So the deportation uh, mm-hmm. ministry, mm-hmm. That, uh, that sounds like quite a taxing, uh, a taxing ordeal emotionally mm-hmm. uh, for those who uh, participate in that. So how, how does that generally work? The, uh, give, give me, kind of paint us a picture of how that yeah. would, would normally work. So uh, 
they they recently moved the deportation from Broadview to the Kankakee jail. When that jail started detaining people, they also moved the deportation process there, okay. uh, which made it a challenge for us. It's not really close. Broadview was much more accessible. But what is amazing is some of the volunteers that had previously been going to Broadview were willing to go to Kankakee, and we also recruited in the Kankakee area and got enough people to help. So on Friday mornings, uh, families can go to drop off uh, belongings and money and say goodbye uh, between 5 in the morning and 8 in the morning. Not a super convenient time, but that's what they can do. So we have people there who will receive the families and help them in the lobby of the jail to understand you know, what's gonna happen, what's the process, when might they hear from their loved one again, how many days will it take till they get to a place where they could make a phone call. Families now say goodbye by tablet. They used to say goodbye in person at Broadview and when they moved it to Kankakee, they now say goodbye by tablet. Um, it's by pretty tablet. awful to watch that. So you might have a family that's saying goodbye to the dad of the family and they're given a tablet, and they see like, a like video. An iPad. Yep. Mm-hmm. Even though the person is in the same facility, mm-hmm. so technology is is one of the things we deal with in terms of the deportation ministry, but also the court proceedings that dehumanizes. It's a, a dehumanizing aspect of the system. So, while I understand that that means they don't have to use jail staff to escort people and. Uh, you know, handcuff them or the things they would normally have to do to, to move them ab- about to a bay where they could visit through plexiglass. Mm-hmm. It's very dehumanizing, and mm-hmm. this it might be the last time a child sees their father. Mm-hmm. And so they say goodbye by tablet. Um, they can give them a, a duffel bag with some clothing and some money, and then you know they say goodbye, and then we we spend some time with that family, just mm-hmm. hearing about what's going on with them and how they're doing, how they're coping, um, pray with them. Then later, after the families have come and gone, we board the deportation buses and we say a prayer of protection with people. We let them know that they're in our thoughts and prayers and they're not alone. We wish them safe passage. Being deported is a very dangerous process because um, if you go back to your home country, you can bet that on the other side people know when the deportation plane or bus arrives Mm -hmm. and those people are vulnerable then because uh, let's give Mexico as as an example if they've been here for 20 years and now they're being deported to Mexico sometimes people don't speak Spanish that well anymore they don't know how things work back there and the people there that might prey upon them know they're coming and they might have money and so that it's 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 difficult when you're deported you are definitely vulnerable Mm -hmm. some of the countries have governmental programs that will help you Mexico if you're deported to Mexico City especially there is a government response and they will greet you and they have a a reintegration program where they'll help people find jobs in Mexico and get them on track there right so we can give that information to the people being deported in our through our jail ministry the Mexican consulate also comes and talks with people from their country who to let them know what to expect back home. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, I just wanna say a little more about the buses because the buses aren't what you and I would think of as a bus. Okay. They really are jail buses or a jail on a bus. And yeah. so they have metal grate dividers and the front has plexiglass with a small opening through which we pray and talk to folks. Everybody on the bus is shackled at the wrists and at the waist and the ankles. And there are more men than women being deported. So another thing we do is we remind men that everybody needs to look out for each other because when they get there, it's gonna be challenging and to watch out for their sisters to protect them and be kind to them when they get, get back. This is a really interesting uh, way. What, what I see, um, in addition to the lack of humanity uh, that's being practiced on behalf of our system, um, I see a great amount of humanity 
being uh, injected through the work that you all are doing. Mm -hmm. um, but I also see communities that are forming uh, within this. Uh, now, let me ask you a question that and take you actually outside of the work of ICDI. Mm -hmm. uh, how has this work colored the way you see our, some of the divisions that, 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 that we deal with in society as, as citizens? Um, mm. Because working with people who have who don't have the ability to advocate for themselves, mm -hmm. who find themselves victims of the system, right? Uh, it, it sensitizes you to, to, to really to want to respond and alleviate whatever uh, whatever difficulty you can. Uh, do you see, or or do you feel like that has impacted, or maybe that's why you're where you are now because <laughs> that's just the part of who you are. But do you think this uh, there's a lesson to be learned or something that can be carried over into how we relate to one another um, uh, outside mm. of that. I mean, it might seem a little cliche, but the simple notion that we are generally all the same. Yeah. That, like, at the end of the day, we have the same concerns, uh, no matter where you are from in the world. Um, you know, we want to make sure that our families are okay, that we have shelter and food and water, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I mean, it's really put in perspective just how uh, easy my life is, right, on the kind mm -hmm. of day-to-day. -day. Um, I remember sitting at the Secretary of State trying to get a new ID mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago. I changed addresses and needed an update, and I sat there getting kind of annoyed, as most people do, and <laughs> started to rise. And I thought, well, you know, but I'm allowed to get an ID. Right. I'm allowed to get documentation. I'm allowed to go do these things and putting that in perspective. But, um, yeah, it certainly changes everything. You do. You start to kind of look through this. But, yeah, I don't know if that really answered the question. It was uh, just kind of a, <laughs> made me think of that. No, no, that's, that's, that's yeah. fine. That, that, that's what was supposed to come out. Mm. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. yeah, you know, what I th I, um, when I was graduating from college a while back, the first job that I had was working in an immigrant and refugee resettlement agency in St. Louis, which is where I'm from. Okay. It was called the International Institute. Mm -hmm. And really at that young age, I was astounded by the, the challenges that people coming to our country faced, how quickly they had to learn English, how little they got in terms of benefits to adjust, and it really impacted me and it set me on this course that I have been on working mm -hmm. with the marginalized and especially with immigrants. Um, and I think that it struck me that only because I was born in a different place than they were, I was fortunate and they had had to come here. They had mm -hmm. had to leave something behind. I was, this was the time that the Soviet Union was breaking up. Yeah. The United States at that time was also bringing um, the children from Vietnam who had been fathered by American mm -hmm. soldiers and who were persecuted in Vietnam because they looked half American and people knew and it was a reminder of the war. Mm -hmm. So they were allowed to come to the United States and resettle as families and you know, I didn't do anything different in, you know, I'm not a better person. I was just born where I was and they were just born where they were. And so by grace alone, I have a different life. How could I not want to welcome whoever couldn't stay where they were, you know? Um, and I think that we have outsourced a lot of our power. And when you do this work, you see how powerful we are in a, in a, not in a bad sense of power, but in a one-to-one, -one, you can make a difference every single day of your life from individual interactions, yes, also at the systemic level, um, but we are, we are, it is a blessing to my life, the people that we meet. Mm. I can promise you I would invite anybody that lives in our house to my personal home mm -hmm. for dinner or to stay before I would invite some of our government <laughs> folks, okay? <laughs> because it's a blessing. These people mm -hmm. are wonderful people. Yeah. And when you do the work, you 
you see that you cannot, the problem is when people other and people point fingers at mm. communities or individuals that they don't know anything about. Sure. And I would say from a spiritual perspective, that is the invitation. There's this thing, I can't do this on the radio well, but everybody imagine, you know, you're pointing your finger at other people. Mm-hmm. You've got three fingers mm-hmm. pointing back at yourself. It, that is your invitation to, to look at yourself. Mm-hmm. Why am I bothered by, you know, what I say these people are about or doing? Mm-hmm. And it's also your invitation to lean in. I just think that if you want to grow spiritually, whenever you find yourself saying, oh, those people, why do they? I don't like how, you know, whatever that's about, get to know those people. That Mm -hmm. is your invitation spiritually to enter into relationship, and you will be changed by that relationship. You won't be able, when you know someone, you can't talk smack about them. (laughs) You got to look them in the eyes, and you also know better because they're not what you thought they were. Mm, They're not what you made up in your head about them. Uh, Raider Islam family, um, I absolutely love my job. Uh, <laughs> so I get to have a great conversations, talk to great people, um, and yeah. So some of this, some of this is probably going to be repeated. I'm giving the um, the khutbah, the the sermon, this Friday, the man. So some of that may resurface. <laughs> all right, I'll be there. All right, inshallah. <laughs> inshallah. So uh, you know what? But before we go, you you all have to tell the Radio Islam family how they can uh, keep up Get with you. Get in touch you. with us. Yeah. Um, Our website. Yeah, please do. Is icdichicago.org. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a Facebook. Just look for Interfaith Community for Detained Immigrants. Mm-hmm. We have a Twitter at icommunitydi. Those would be great ways to find out what we're doing and to reach out to us. And on our website, there's a contact form mm-hmm. if someone wanted to email us to learn more about what we do or to get involved with, you know, we always need donations because we're a starving nonprofit, but we have lots of volunteer opportunities and hands-on things that people can do as well. Well, please keep us um, informed. Uh, let us know uh, what you have coming up. We'll definitely uh, be happy to share it. Um, and it's been great talking to uh, to you, Melanie, Ryan. Thank uh, you so much for having us. We really yeah. appreciate being here. Thank on. you. Yeah. Thanks. All right, Radio Sound family, we want to thank you for, for tuning in. We look forward to talking to you tomorrow night. At this point, we want to thank our engineer over at WCEV, Leonard. Thank you very much, sir, for making sure we come through loud and clear. We thank our engineer in studio. Assistant producer, the impressive one, Ibrahim Beg. I'm your host and producer, uh, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer, producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. Uh, we remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guest are theirs and are to be taken as representative of Sound Vision Inc. And with that, we are going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.